And go to the book of James, please. James, the first chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles uh, provided for you in the seats there, it's page 1011. Our specific text this morning will be verses 9 to 12. Um, You'll note that um, there's a paragraph break in most of our English translations uh, between verses 11 and 12. Um, However, those paragraph breaks obviously were not inspired. Those were added later on. And I I actually believe that verse 12 should either go with the, the comments of 9 through 11 or uh, they should stand alone as a summary statement. And so uh, uh, just kind of know that that's why there's a division there. And then next week, uh, we will pick up in verse 13. But let's start reading in verse 2 uh, so we can get some context and flow of thought. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, exalt, exalt, exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, but when he has re- for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the living God. Let me start this morning by posing a question to you in is this, is it ever right to brag about something? Is it ever right to boast about something? A lot of times those words, we, we, we would say that we should avoid those things, and I can understand why, and, and typically we should. Um, but there's a, there's a part of this passage here that tells us that there should be a, a boasting in our lives a sense of confidence as we live in a world of uncertain times. I don't have to tell you that our world is very uncertain. I don't have to show you all the different ways that we would see uncertainty in this world. In fact, you just have to turn the news on or you just have to to, uh, click on a, a news website and you will find that we do indeed live in uncertain times. And so how is it that we as believers in Christ, how can we live confidently during this time of uncertainty? Well, 
Let's answer that question by looking at the text before us. But before we do that, I'd like to give you a little bit of review just so that we can have an understanding of where we've come from and how that's going to help us understand the text before us. A couple weeks ago, when we're a few weeks ago, when we started this series, we, we looked specifically at verse 1, and we, we identified there that the believer's identity is a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that a continual realization of this fact is needed to get through life. James understood who he was writing to. He was writing to people who were scattered. He was writing to people who were, who were being persecuted and they were going through difficult times. And so what he says here, I believe he emphasizes his identity there and we can learn from that. That is when we have in our minds what our identity is, and that is a slave of Jesus Christ. He's writing to Christians here. He's writing to people who would identify themselves as Christ followers. So the application goes to them. And so he's writing to these people and he says, if you understand that this is your true identity, this is what is going to help you endure this life and get through this life. A lot of times the reason why we get frustrated, the reason why we have conflict in our lives and in our relationships is because there has been a lack of respect shown towards us and we react to that. And I can understand that. In fact, just this last week, I had a situation where someone responded to me in a way that was, in my opinion, disrespectful and dismissive. And my first, my first response was, to, was I, I wanted to, to lash out and defend my honor and why I should be respected and why my opinion really mattered so much. Reflecting on that, I realized that, no, that is not what should have driven my first initial heart attitude. What should have driven my heart attitude, and thankfully this wasn't a spoken conversation, so I had time to, to, to respond and, and uh, uh, write a, a draft response first and, and then let it sit for a day and then go back to it. I realized that it wasn't the honor of God that I was after. It was my own self. In the adult discipleship hour, we talked a lot about that this morning. For those of you who were present, we talked about there's two kingdoms, kingdom of, of self and kingdom of God. And in this moment, I was more concerned about the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God. But our identity will help us get through whatever life throws at us, or more specifically, whatever God has for us, understanding and having a confident acceptance of our understanding as a slave of God and Lord Jesus Christ is, is important for us to get through life. Then we talked about from verses 2 through 4, we said that trials or pain are actually gifts because the goal of trials is maturity. We talked about how this was a gift that no one wants, that pain is, is difficult to accept, and, and that trials, when they come our way, it's hard to see them as actual gifts from God. But that's indeed what they are, because we saw in verses 2 through 4 that the effect is that we'd be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. And so that God in his, in his sovereign hand has, has, has a purpose for allowing us to go through those things. And so we can accept those as gifts. And then last week we talked about how that our view of God is crucial to our ability to understand the gifts of trials. Our, our, our understanding of who God is is, is is imperative if we're going to go through trials well. We talked about how he was good and generous. 
He talked about how he gives wisdom for us to uh, uh, go through this life. And wisdom we defined last week as, as being able to see things from the divine perspective or, or to be able to, to be the ability to look at life in such a way that we see God's perspective rather than only our own. And so God gives us this wisdom if we ask him, he gives it without condescension. He doesn't hold it against us. And this is something we're going to have to ask for multiple times in our lives. And God is very gracious and good. And so we have to have that confidence in him. Now this week, what I hope to explain to you this, this morning from this text is that seeing life from the divine perspective gives us the ability to live confidently in an uncertain world. Seeing life from the divine perspective gives us the ability to live confidently in an uncertain world. Every day, our safety is threatened. Every day, our, our joy is attacked. Every day, our, our sense of peace is undermined by various things that happen in our lives. You can fill in the blanks. Whether they be interpersonal conflict that you might have in the home or at work, or, or maybe it's, it's difficulty with, with a child, young or adult, or, or maybe it's, it's a, a competing worldview that you have that, that is thrown at you day in and day out. Our sense of peace, our sense of joy, our satisfaction is undermined all the time. That's why we pursue things that we shouldn't pursue. Because there's a, there's a pursuit of happiness that is elusive. And so as we come to this text, I think that, that we can be very confident Christians in a time of uncertainty if we understand what James is trying to tell us here. And that is that we need to have the divine perspective. So what James does here in verses 9 through 11 is he actually gives an illustration of the truth that he has been trying to teach. And so here, James is a very practical book already, but he gives kind of this for instance, if you will. So he's made a theological point. He's made a truth. He's, made, he, he's tried to get his readers to understand something that's very, very important. And then he says, let me give you an illustration. And that's verses 9 through 11. And so let us take a look at that. And then there's a summary statement in verse 12. So verse 9, he says, let me read again. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his, in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, at first, when you start reading that, you're kind of like, all right, James, I was, I was kind of tracking with you here, but how does this connect? I mean, what, where, where are you going with this? Well, first of all, I think this is what he's trying to communicate. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I didn't put any blanks in the, in the bulletin, so you can copy it down. Number one, confident living in this uncertain world comes from spiritual security rather than material security. If we are going to live confidently in this world, if we're going to live in such a way that brings glory to God, if we're going to endure trials well, we need to understand that that confidence comes from spiritual security rather than material security. James reminds his, his audience here that he's still talking about Christians here. He's talking about how trials affect Christians. He, and so th this application, we have to make sure that we understand this. And so, so if you're a believer here today, if you're a Christ follower here today, this is written for you. 
If you're not a believer here today, you're not a Christ follower here, this is, this is not exactly applicable, applicable to you yet. And I pray that, that God draws you to himself and gives you faith and, and that as you study the scriptures, you'll, be under, you, you'll, be, you, you'll come to follow Christ and see him as, as your Lord and Savior. And so, but, but the, the, the application very specifically here, he says, let the lowly brother here. And this word brother has the idea of both genders. It talks about any person who follows after God or any person who would call Christ their king. And so this is who he's talking to. And so he says that this is very important for every Christian to understand. And so, so we have gathered here this morning and, and we've come together at this point in our service. And, and, and here we can be assured that God is giving us something to hear at this moment right here because it's very specifically applicable to us. James uses the probable position in life that most of his readers probably had or most likely had to, to serve as an example of how we can live confidently in an uncertain world or in a world where trials are one of the very few certain things in this world. And so he talks about this person, first of all, in their poverty, the lowly brother, he says here. Literally, this has the idea of a person in an inferior position. This can talk about his financial or her financial state. It can talk about her social standing or his place in, uh, in, in how other people view him. It's a lowly brother. This could be someone who was socially maligned for being a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is the person that first he applies this to. He says the person who, who is struggling to make ends meet. Christian who has a difficult time in this world. It seems that everyone else around them is blessed but this person. Um, this is the person that when they log on Facebook and they, and they go through their, their news feed and they see, it seems to them everyone has a vacation and they're putting their pictures up of being on the beach and they're like, man, I, I've... I've I've never been able to take a vacation like that. And my idea of the beach is gathering the sand after the sand and salt trucks go by in the wintertime <laughs> and making a castle. <laughs> you know, this is my idea of the beach here. I don't have the ability to do that. This may be the person who is struggling with seeing other people who have blessings of that God has given them things and maybe a job promotion or, or a child or wealth or things like that, but this person doesn't have that. And this person has that internal struggle when they see this. You know, they, they want to be happy for their friends. And I've always said it's a lot easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. So this is that person who may be going through something like that. And perhaps you are here this morning and, and you have that. You have this lowly disposition where it's, it seems that other people are, are blessed. It seems that other people's marriages are, have, have no problems whatsoever. And you can't get your husband or wife to put the toilet paper on the right way, okay, to refer to adult discipleship hour again. It seems this way, right? This person, it seems, has been passed by in the blessings category. But what, is, but what, is, what does James tell this person to do? 
He says, here's what you do. Here's your response to your low position in life. I want you to brag. I want you to have humble pride. This, 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 this uh, 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 paradox here. He says, I want you to brag about something. Here's what I want you to brag about. I want you to, to boast in the fact that you are really exalted. Now, we cannot make the distinction or we cannot, we, or excuse me, we cannot make the connection that because someone is low or does not have wealth, they are automatically exalted. But this person, again, remember who he's writing to. We have to understand every word if we're going to interpret the scriptures carefully or correctly. He's talking to a Christian here. And so he says, you have something of greater value than anything that you can read about on Facebook. You have something of greater worth than what a lot of other people can even fathom. And that is your position in Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand here that in the text here that we have, have are studying this morning for our, our, our sermon, there is only one command, and it is this one. He commands the lowly brother to boast. He says, you must do this. This is not a suggestion. He says, you need to do this. And so it has the idea of displaying or proclaiming publicly a satisfied contentment with one's own or another's achievements. Okay, why don't you just think about the professional athlete here. Most professional athletes are not known for their humility. Okay, think of the person who his response after he crosses the end zone with the football. Or the person who swings the bat and the ball goes 450 feet over the center field fence. Or the golfer who takes with one swing of his club and the ball goes in the air, bounces a couple times, rolls, and finds its way to a little cup in one shot. What is the response of these three individuals? It is, it, it is, it is not at that point. That golfer does not go, yeah, you know, that was good, but, you know, I, I, th I think my downswing, I need to swing my hips just a little bit more into it. No, he is completely content with his performance at that point. The, 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 the running back is completely content with what has just happened there when he crosses the line. And, and the baseball player, again, is content that the ball has, has sailed so far. There, there's a contentment there. There's a, there's a confidence in his ability or her ability at that moment. And this is the idea here that, that is carried into this text here. It says, I want you to be confident here. I want you to be satisfied in what God has done for you and in in the fact that he has exalted you. But what is he telling them to, to, to boast about specifically? The answer is, again, the position of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of a few other passages in the scriptures. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, if I have one thing to brag about, it is that I am, have been changed because of the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.31 Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And so again, again, Paul affirms what James has been teaching here is that our confidence in this life is, can only be based on what Jesus has done for us. And so let, let's, let's put this into context here. We, we're living life and all of a sudden something happens and a trial comes our way and, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty in our world. It could be financial, it could be health, it can be relational. You fill in the blanks. It can be all these things and all of a sudden the world starts seeing seems to be uncertain. You find yourself in a spot that you never thought that you would be before. Where do you get the confidence to live the next day? Because if you're a believer, it's in Jesus Christ. It's in what he has done for you because you realize that he's good and he is gracious and that he is only going to do what is good and best. And so this is why James is saying you need to be confident in that you're, you're being exalted by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, I put it on the screen, says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and has raised us up. It sounds exalted there. Has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The point that James is making here is that even though the lowly brother has very little security in this life, he has great confidence or great security in this life because of who he is in Christ Jesus. Even though he might be living paycheck to paycheck, he might wonder how retirement is going to look or if retirement is even going to happen. He may wonder what people think of him because of past decisions that he's made or even life circumstances that have happened to him beyond his control. He can be confident in this world because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. You see, Everything really does go back to Jesus. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Do you really believe that? That if, if, if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. We need confidence in that fact. Because life is uncertain. Trials are going to come our ways. But one thing is sure. Jesus Christ. And God often brings things in our way so that we can, we can understand that fact. I read a quote uh, by Corrie Ten Boom. Many of you know of her. Um, and she said, I'm probably going to have to paraphrase this, but she says something to the fact that um, in order to fully appreciate the strength of the anchor, you need to feel the intensity of the storm. The point she was making is that in order for you to fully appreciate the strength of our God and of Jesus Christ, sometimes we need to feel the, the ugliness of the world and see that he really is our rock and he really is our portion. And so James uses this illustration here to, to teach us this, that we need to have confidence about this. But then what James does is he goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. He goes, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, the theologians are divided on whether or not this rich man in this text should be considered a believer or not in the illustration. 
Without going into all the rationale, I'd be happy to do it for you at some point if you'd like. I think it makes most sense that this person is indeed a believer here. And so it's, he's not talking about a, a, a saved or a, a follower of Christ who is in a lowly state and then a, a, a rich person who denies God and hates God. I, I don't think that that's the distinction that he makes here. I think the distinction that he makes here is that there is, we have two different, life, uh, uh, two different ends of, of life and the experiences of life. And the reality is the same for both of them. So what is the rich man's humiliation here? And why should he brag or be content with it? It seems that a reduction in his circumstances could be possible here. But he doesn't necessarily have to be. Because notice it says in the text here, it says, um, he will pass away. And at the end of verse 11, so the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. It doesn't say there very specifically that the person's wealth will pass away. Or will fade away. It says the man will fade away. And so as I look at this, I think, I think we can say part of the humiliation could be that he loses some of his standing or he loses his wealth. But I don't know that that's the main interpretation of this. Here's how I think it, it seems best. It seems that the rich man has found or understands that there's something of greater value than his wealth or position in society. What he now finds is valuable makes him feel small and dependent rather than larger than life and independent. Because, see, while, while the, 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 the person of lowly state is, is used to the idea of dependence, is used to the idea of having to have people help them in order to, to succeed or to progress, the person who is rich, on the other hand, often has a trial as well. And so I think that this is what James is saying, is poverty and wealth are both trials at times. And so the, the person who has everything or has great abundance, he is tempted to forget his need of a God. He is, for, he is tempted to forget that he has to be dependent. And so when he has the realization, wait a minute, my money, my status in life, my everything that I've accumulated and all the things that I've obtained here in this world, that is not enough. I need something, rather, I need someone to save me. That's a humiliation. He's brought low and understanding that, wait, I am dependent on someone else. I need someone else. No matter what my bank account looks like, no matter what my 401k looks like, no matter how many vacation days I have accrued, no matter how many cars I have in the garage, no matter how many, whatever, I still am dependent. That's the humiliation when he realizes this. And so he's to understand that and to actually brag about it. He's actually to say, yes, this is where I need to be. And so the rich believer understands his wealth position in society and his life free of financial worry places him nowhere closer to God and that he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus to exalt him. So this realization that he is just as dependent on God as the lowly brother brings him low. He's equal with the lowly brother. And so what he realizes is that at the foot of the cross, you've probably heard this before, at the foot of the cross, the, the ground is level. It's level. The person's wealth, the person's uh, uh, whatever he has, his, his, maybe his, his standing, maybe his, his, uh, uh, the way people look up to them. When he gets to the cross, he is nowhere closer than the lowly brother, because they both need Jesus Christ. 
In order to get through life in these trials, poverty isn't going to necessarily help. Wealth isn't necessarily going to help. No, our confident living has to be who we are in Jesus Christ. That's the point James is making here. One author wrote, he said, as, excuse me, as the poor brother forgets all his earthly poverty because he has found something greater in Jesus Christ, so the rich brother forgets all of his earthly riches. By faith in Christ, the two are equals. So as wealthy as this person is, he is still bound to the laws of decay. He will fade away, we've read. And so there's an illustration within an illustration here. As he says, so as like the flower of the grass, or as like a wild flower, he will pass away. For the sun rising with the scorching heat and withers the grass, the flower falls, and the beauty perishes. This is going to happen. And then it says, so the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We could understand this as while he is going about his business, while he is doing what he needs to do, while he is working on or, or living this life, he will fade away. He will pass away. It will happen. He, for, you know, no matter what he has uh, uh, accumulated, um, it will not keep him immortal. And he needs Jesus Christ. That's how we get through this world. That's how we get through the world, understanding that we have a different perspective. You see, here's what has happened. Both the lowly brother and the rich brother, they have changed their perspective through the wisdom that God has promised in verse 5. And they have said, you know what? It doesn't matter how little money I have or how much money I have. My perspective is, is that I, there's something greater and that there's an eternity that I am, I am living towards, okay? I, I'm, I'm living this life here with, with very specific purposes, and we're going to get to that in a second, of what that purpose is, but with an eternal view in mind. The problem is both the lowly brother and the rich brother can get too focused on life circumstances. The lowly brother can say, man, if I could just get this job because it pays so much more, then things are going to fall into place for me. Or if I could just get this degree and then I will be more marketable. Or if I could just get this much saved up and then I won't have to work again. He's looking for confidence in the wrong place. Or the rich person, on the other hand, He can say, because I have all these things, because I have all this, I can live confidently. But that's not the case. Because, you know, people that have tremendous wealth, that's a trial as well. So what what, what James is saying here is that when you change your perspective about focusing on earthly riches or the lack of riches, when you change it to more of an eternal perspective, when life's trials come, that is how we get through them. And we get through them in the right way. Because what we're going to look at next week is that trials can turn into temptations. Trials can turn into sinful reactions and sinful behavior. And the problem isn't necessarily the trial, it's the person going through because they haven't responded correctly to it. So, so this week, though, as we're, as we're finishing this section, what he's saying, he's given the positive, and James is saying, what I want you to understand is you need to look at life circumstances with a different viewpoint, with the perspective of God, rather than the perspective of circumstances. The lowly brother is tempted to look at his poverty, and the rich man is tempted to look at his, his wealth 
And God says, and through James, that's not where you, where you should be looking. We need to have an eternal perspective here. And that comes through the wisdom we saw in verse 5. So wealth does not bring security. James says the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So the course of this man's life, there will come a time where he passes away and the amount of money in his bank account will have no bearing on when that day comes. And so there's a false security there. So confidence in the midst of trials is not ultimately realized by wealth or the absence of wealth. Confident living in an uncertain world comes from our spiritual standing before God. And so our circumstances, good or bad, are temporary and can change at any time. So our joy, our satisfaction, our sense of worth, our affirmation cannot come from things that are so temporal and transient. They must come from what is eternal. And that is our position in Christ, of who we are in Jesus Christ. That is where our joy and our sense of worth and satisfaction comes from. Now, a word of caution is needed here. To think that we just have to endure this world and then get to glory is to miss the fullness of God's plan for us. We endure the trials of this world to gain maturity, going back to verses 2 through 4, while we are here, thereby bringing glory to God and helping others. So our position in Christ is as much for today as it is when we stand at heaven's doorstep. So what I don't want you to hear is I don't want you to hear, well, just, just muddle through this life, try to get through it the best you can, grit your teeth, and then, woo, we get to glory and it'll be all worth it. Well, on, on one hand, that's true. When we get to glory, it'll all be worth it. When we get to heaven, it'll be fine. But God has, has so what he said is our position in Christ should affect us today, though, and affect those around us today. So it's not just, I just need to endure this in the sense of, because we do have to endure trials, but in the sense of that's my only goal is just to get through this. No, it's I want to mature through this so I can bring great glory to God and help others in the process. I hope you see that distinction there. So confident living in an uncertain world comes through having an eternal perspective about life and, and it finds that our security is in spiritual matters, not material matters. Finally, number two, the second point this morning is this. Confident living in an uncertain world will be rewarded. In Verse 12, we see the summary statement. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So James adopts the style of a beatitude. Many of you are familiar with the beatitudes in Matthew, where it says, Blessed is the man who does this, blessed are the poor, blessed are meek, those things like that. And so James, he, he kind of takes this idea here. Now, some people understand that part of this, the idea of this word can mean happy. You can translate this word happy. But I, I, I just wanted to point out that, that I don't think that's being fully faithful to what it is saying here. Because it's possible to um, be blessed and to have received blessings from God and not be happy. And so what James here is saying, he's saying, no, this person needs to understand that he has truly been blessed by God when he endures a trial. When he, when he is steadfast through the trial. So notice that the blessed man in the, in, is the person who perseveres in the trial. It's not the person who escapes the trial. See, a lot of times that's kind of our, 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 our mode is, I need to escape out of this rather than persevere through it. Now, I need to stop here and just say, say one thing parenthetically. I'm not saying that if you're in a bad situation, Safety is, is a concern. 
where in order to endure, you got to stay there. That, that's not what this is teaching. This is not teaching that if you're in an unsafe spot, then it's like, well, I'm just going to stay here, and, and you know, I'm going to endure this, and blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trials. No, there's times where we do remove ourselves from the situation. But understand that, that this passage is still applicable because when we remove ourselves from the situation, we still bear with us and take with us all the effects of that situation that we're in. And so we still need to endure that trial. Why did he do this to me? Why did she say this? Why did this happen this way? Those type of things you take with you and so you still need to endure it. So what I don't want anyone to hear though is that if, it, for instance, for instance, if there's a marriage where there's an abuse, uh, 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 abusive relationship happening where the person, man or woman, typically it's the woman, would have to stay and receive this abuse day after day after day after day to endure the trial. That's not what this passage is teaching. She may need to remove herself from that situation for her safety, but at the same time, she still has to endure the trial because she is taking that with her. So I hope people understand that distinction there. Because I think sometimes verses like this can be misused and, and encourage people to do things that God has not intended them for to do. James is saying here that the, the man who remains or the person who remains steadfast is indeed blessed or has received a blessing from God. And so when we can endure, patiently endure a trial and go through the trial in the way that God would have us to go through it, then that person is blessed. That person has received something from God. Now, it's interesting the way James writes this because he writes it almost like he assumes that this will happen, that the believer will persevere. He assumes that this will happen. He doesn't say if he has. It says, for when he has stood the test, he will um, receive the crown of life. And so it's, in a way, it's, written, it's not written in, in the mode of possibility. It's actually written in such a way that, that it's almost has already happened and there's effects that are, that are going into the present. So it's not, he, even the way he writes this, it's not like, well, if this should happen. No, he's basically saying, if you're a believer, because remember, let's go back to the idea of believers. He's saying, God will give you the strength to be steadfast, but you still have to work at being steadfast as well. So literally, when it says when he stood the test, literally that means when he has been proved. And so persevering trials prove that we belong to God. God assures us that we are his when we are brought safely through these trials and endure the trials through his wisdom and grace. But we need to understand that while we understand that God is at work doing this for us, that we have a, a part in this and that we have a responsibility to remain steadfast. It's, it's written as a continual action that you must continue to do this through the course of your life. This is something we have to keep working on. We will fall and we will, we will fall and, and not endure well, but then we get back up and we continue to endure. Now you need to say this. Now for some of us who have fully embraced the doctrines of grace or God's sovereignty, we tend to cringe when we talk about what we have to do. You have to do this. But don't let this bother you. The fact is that we are called to an active faith. We are to do certain things as a Christian, and persevering is one of those things. We understand that there's a mysterious motivation behind our actions. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you're commanded to do that. But then it says, for it is God who is at work in you both to do and to will for his good pleasure. So we understand there's this mysterious motivation that we don't always understand, but we are called to action. And so don't, don't, don't let the idea of, okay, well, God's sovereign. I can't do anything apart from God. Keep us from action because that is what we should be doing. We should be active in our faith. This is a lot of what this book is about. 
The reality is that we need to work and put in the effort to persevere until the end. The scriptures teach that the believer will indeed do this, and if someone does fall away, then John says that they were never a true believer anyway. This is why we are told to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. This is why there should be fruit in our lives to show that we are indeed Christ's followers. And so if I can say this very gently but very pastoral, please, please don't depend on a prayer uttered many years before. If, if parents, if I, if, if I can just give you, you know, this, this, this admonition, if your child ever comes to you and says, I don't know if I'm a Christian, please, please don't say, well, of course you are because you prayed this so many years ago. Please don't do that. Answer the questions. We're told in in Corinthians, Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. One of the most scary passages in Scripture is found in Matthew. I'll put it on the screen. Matthew 7 Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, did you catch that? Many, not one, not two, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a sobering passage of Scripture. That our faith should be a persevering faith. And we understand that God is is motivating that, but but we have to be working it in the midst of trials. We have to be going back to God and coaching ourselves and saying, okay, what do I believe about God? That's why it's so important to understand this in the full context of this chapter where our understanding of God, verses 5 through 8, motivates this what we're talking about here. And so there should be evidences of grace in your life. There should be fruit in your life. There should be a desire to be with God's people. There should be a desire for God's word. There should be a desire to please God. These are all marks of a person who's a believer in Jesus Christ. So very gently and and without judgment, I say, if, if you're only looking back on a prayer that you uttered several years ago, but there's a life of, of, of absence away from God, I would encourage you to repent and ask God to save your soul. Because it's not a prayer that saves us. God does a saving work in our lives, and when he does that, that changes us. There should be change. Now, it doesn't mean that we we cease all struggle with sin. I don't think I really have to clarify that, but I will. Of course, we're going to struggle. Of course, we're going to go through times of spiritual coolness, but we will never be satisfied there. That's the key. If you're spiritually distant from God and, 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 and your heart is cool towards Him and it does not bother you, be very concerned. Ask God to change your heart and run back to Christ. Ask Him to save you. You see, what we're talking about in this passage here, we're talking about believers in that God is blessing people who truly follow Christ or truly believe in Christ for their salvation. And he says, no matter what life throws your way, you can live confidently here. You can live confidently in the midst of trials. It doesn't matter. You, there may be times your faith is shaken, but you are going to get back up and you are going to follow hard after God. 
That's what he's talking about here. This is the blessed person. It says the crown of life here. I don't believe this is a literal crown. I believe that the way that we best understand this is that he's saying the crown, which is life. And so eternal life is the crown that we receive. This is the reward that God gives us as we persevere on this earth through his strength. And so James finishes the summary statement. Now, as he does this, notice that he ties it all together with what should be our motivation, an intense love for God. He says, which God, he will give the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He ties us all back and says, this is how we persevere. This is how we live confidently in this world. It's through a love of God. So what James is calling us to really here is he's saying, love God. Love God. That's what you need to do. In order to go through trials, if you're in a lowly state and you have nothing, you don't know how rent or mortgage is going to get paid, love God. That is your purpose in life. And, and, and go hard after that. And if you're rich and you have much to your name, which a lot of people do, then we are to do the same. Love God. That is our motivation. And the thing I love about this is that this, this command or this, or this, this, this uh, uh, idea of what our motivation should be touches every single one of us. If you're a child, love God. If you're a teen, love God. If you're middle-aged, love God. If you're, if you're a parent with young kids and you don't know if you're ever going to get a full night's sleep again, love God. Okay, if you're a senior and you're frustrated and you say, you know, my health is failing and I can't do the things I used to do. I can't read as much as I used to be able to read. I can't, I can't work with my hands much anymore. Why am I still here? What does God want me to do when I can't do anything? Maybe God wants you to love him another year. Just love him and point people to him. You see, this is, this, is, this is the motivation that should be for all of us here. This is why we're on earth. We are to love God. So God is not saying be perfect and get through this awful world. He's saying love me and I will get you through this awful world. That's, the, that's what it comes back to because we're going to ask for wisdom from the person whom we love because he loves us. And, and we're going to not let life circumstances dictate our joy because we love God and we understand that he, and being a child of God, a brother of Jesus Christ, we understand that that is of more worth than anything. And so if we're in the low estate, it doesn't matter because we have Jesus. If we're a rich estate, we're brought low by our riches and we don't care about them more because we have Jesus. And when trials come our way, we have confidence because we have Jesus. So the believer must evaluate his or her life not by what is going on or what is happening to them, but by who they are in Christ. So don't evaluate your life or your happiness or your satisfaction by whatever's happened to you. Evaluate it by who you are in Jesus Christ and by what you know about God. Trials are meant to uh, bring about a more mature understanding of God and an appreciation for the reward that awaits us. So when a trial deprives, the, deprives us of wealth, comfort, and ease, we can love Jesus so much more. 
And if we accumulate wealth, extended times of comfort or ease, we must go through that trial with the same wisdom needed for the person deprived of those same blessings. So we need Jesus. We need Christ. That is how we get through this world. We have the table before us that we will we will partake of the bread that was broken. We'll drink of the juice. This is a reminder that we do indeed have Jesus. During the, um, well, the second congregational song, uh, Wayne and I came up here and, and we took the bread after washing our hands and, and broke it up. And the reason why we did that is because there, there's great symbolism in this, that Jesus' body was broken for us. And so we do this in the presence of everyone so you can see this, so it can be a reminder that Jesus' body was broken for us. Jesus went through great trials. You know, we go through a lot of trials in life, but I don't think it comes to anything like this. I don't think it goes to, to the point of, of, of Jesus dying because Jesus' death was not just that his heart stopped beating. In that process, sin was put on him. An innocent man. And, and, and he bore all of our sin here. Talk about a trial to endure. And what got Jesus through that trial? Well, he has the advantage that he's also God, so that helps. But he was completely submitted to the Father. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was rejected by friends. Jesus was rejected by family. You want to talk about trials? Jesus gets that. But Jesus persevered because he understood the Father's good, the Father's plan is perfect. He was completely submitted to it. He's our example. He is what we need. Let's run to Jesus. The next, this week, something's going to happen. It will happen. Run to Jesus and say, Jesus, it doesn't matter about the circumstance. I've got you. I can be confident in this world. Let's pray. Father, as we transition to worship you around this table, I pray that our confidence would be in you. I pray that we would um, be very thankful about what you have done for us. And I pray that it would motivate us to endure when we maybe don't receive the respect we think we deserve or life hands us uh, something that is, it seems to be arbitrary or difficult. Remind us of your sovereignty, that you're still in control of those things. But remind us that you're maturing us and you're bringing us to a point of realization where it doesn't matter about this world and this stuff. What matters is Jesus and my position in him, through him. This is our prayer this morning. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.